Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. In part two of our interview with Dr. Robert D. Silvestro, we ask how his work in science has actually affirmed his faith in Christ. We ask what's wrong with waiting until one is certain about having all the evidence before believing. And we ask what he might say to someone who doesn't feel that they need God. We, you said before that you identify yourself as a Christian, not uh, in spite of the scientific evidence, but there's ways in which your experience as a scientist has uh, sort of affirmed your faith in Christ. And I'm wondering if you could uh, explain to our audience how that's so. Like, what about your experience in, in your work in science has affirmed your faith? Well, as I mentioned in college, I was very impressed with the historical evidence for the person of Jesus and what he did, including a physical impossibility namely resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm not a historian, but in my later research stages, I've had to evaluate subjective testimonial evidence in some of my work, and the resurrection meets those highest standards of testimonial evidence, so that really impressed me. Then as a biochemist that studied life processes, I learned about something called the anthropic principle, which basically says that the conditions in the universe, the constants of physics, all seem to be set up so that we can have life on this tiny little speck of the universe we call Earth. And it really does look like someone has really fooled around with everything. Maybe fooled around is a bad, bad expression, hmm. but the point was designed. That's a better way of saying it. Designed conditions so we could have life. And then I look into all the information that is present in life. I mean, the, the DNA, this tremendous amount of information makes any computer look like a Lego toy. And then organization within a cell. And then something that really impresses me is the coordination of processes in life. You know, For example, people talk about how complicated the eye is, but an eye is of no value unless you have something in your brain that can actually detect those images and make, make sense of them. <clears throat> the coordination between body systems really amazes me. I've done some research in natural product pharmacology, and one of the big problems is tweaking one system without throwing something else mm -hmm. off. And it just blows my mind how incredibly coordinated life systems are. And to me, that really just speaks tremendously of, of design. So that that's really impressed me as well. So I think the historical evidence for Jesus being who he said he was, the precision in nature, and a number of other scientific arguments have just really impressed me with the idea that there is a creator and a designer, and the God of the Bible best describes, of all the different religious worldviews, best describes that designer and creator. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Aaron mentioned previously that you've done some writing, kind of your own experiences with faith, um, and you, you've written... Um, uh, this statement, you've said, one cannot wait until every question is answered and all doubt is removed. That wait will produce no decision. And no decision is really a negative decision about Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, could you 
maybe elaborate on on that, explain maybe even what you meant by writing that. Right. Well, in science, we don't wait till we have every little bit of detail proven to make certain hypotheses. And we often set up our research, set up our health policies on these hypotheses, even though we don't have everything. You have to sometimes make a decision and then see if it's right. You know, we do that with basically most every grant proposal that we write as scientists. We'll say, we have this hypothesis. We think this is true. If we do X, Y is going to happen. And then we set up experiments to test that. Sometimes the hypothesis has a lot of weight behind it, sometimes not so much. But we start out with basically a position, and then we test the position to see if it's correct. Now, I eventually applied that to my beliefs, where I said, okay, I, as I alluded to earlier, I believed in God and Jesus 90%. Mm-hmm. What do I do with the other 10%? Well, I basically said, this is my hypothesis, that there is a God and that Jesus is God of the flesh. That's my hypothesis. I'm going to start walking in that and see how it goes. And um, I did it in faith with the ideas. I'm going to start with the assumption this is true and see where it leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear about how you're emphasizing this sort of 10% leap of faith um, and how it you have that 90% evidence, but there's this, this gap where you still have to, to take a step of faith. But you've, you've also written about how you sort of evaluated the other possibilities for explaining who Jesus is. And you've written that, that those other possibilities seem even more far-fetched. And I'm just wondering if you could explain that a little bit further. Like, what about the other possibilities of who Jesus is seem more far-fetched than him raising from the dead. Right. I you know, I think you can make a very compelling case for God and specifically the God of the Bible is revealed in Jesus. I think when you take all the different kinds of evidences and there are many. The universe had a beginning. The and the Genesis is the only ancient holy book that speaks of a God that exists outside of time and space that could have started the universe. There's just a whole lot of different compelling evidences, but When you add all these up, I think you get a really strong case for belief in God, belief in the God of the Bible, belief in Jesus. But skeptics come up with other ideas, and I can't 100% say they're wrong. I can say, I think when you add all these evidences up, boy, you make a really strong case, because I can't believe all these skeptics' responses are all correct, because many of them are a little far-fetched. For example, the idea of the universe had a beginning. Uh, I'm not an astrophysicist, but from what I understand, there's very strong evidence that the universe wasn't always there. It started with what we call the Big Bang, which basically more or less says we got something from nothing and that something came out of nothing and fell out with incredible precision. The simplest explanation for that is that God did it and the God of the Bible fits the right kind of God better than any of the other concepts of God of any of the other religions I've looked at. So I think that's pretty strong evidence that there is a God that started the universe, designed it to fall out just right, and it's the God of the Bible. But skeptics like Stephen Hawking come up with something called the multiverse universe, where they basically say there's an infinite number of universes and we're just lucky. We fell into the right one. They have absolutely zero evidence that these multiverses exist. So I heard somebody say, is it easier to believe in a trillion, trillion multiverses or one God? 
So I would say one God, but mm -hmm. again, I can't totally disprove that they're wrong. All I can mm -hmm. say is there's not really any evidence for that, and it doesn't even solve all the problems, because even if there's trillions of universes and we're in the one that happened to fall out the right way, it still doesn't say where did any of the universes come from. So there's still problems with that idea. So that's one where you know I would say that I can't totally disprove what the skeptics say, but I would say that it takes as much or more faith to believe that than to believe that God did it. Hmm. So that's, that's what I think of that. Now, there is this idea that, and a lot of scientists talk to me about this, God of the gaps. At one time in history, or for a long period of history, when people couldn't explain what went on in the natural realm, they just go, oh, God did it. Why did it rain today? Well, we now have meteorology that says, well, this low pressure front did this or that, and they draw little things across the TV screen. <laughs> Whereas they used to just say, well, God made it rain today. You just opened the clouds and it rained. So it was the God of the gaps. We couldn't explain something, so we just say God did it. Well, a lot of scientists started getting the idea then, well, when we get more information, we'll eventually figure out that we, didn't, we don't need God for anything. But that's really not happened. A lot of our recent discoveries have started pointing more to God and uh, away from the idea that natural explanations take care of everything. So for a while, yes, we filled in a lot of gaps with science, but now as we're getting more science, some of the gaps are growing. For example, this what I just said about the Big Bang, basically saying the universe sort of came from nothing and had a beginning. That actually points to God. Even Albert Einstein, who didn't belong to any traditional religion, even he said there has to be some kind of a God that did this. So a lot of research is now saying that there's actually gaps. To say that as we find more research, it'll all support the idea there is no God, that's a blind faith statement. Um, other example, for a while uh, there was something called junk DNA, and it was DNA that didn't have any coding for specific genes for specific proteins. And they said, oh, that, that just shows there isn't a designer because this is just trash left over from various processes of evolution, things like that. Well, now more recent data said that there is a function for junk DNA. It's, it's actually not junk, it's important DNA, even though it's not the traditional gene coding DNA. So we're finding as we go on more and more that they're, they're not, increased knowledge doesn't always say we have no longer a need for God. Some increased knowledge is saying this God idea is still a pretty good one. Well, you saying that makes me think that uh, there are quite a lot of students and faculty on our campus who uh, are are studying various uh, disciplines within science and are, you know, gaining more and more data and knowledge uh, with each with each year as more research is done. And uh, you talked about the God of the gaps, this idea that uh, as we gain more knowledge, uh, there'll be less need for God. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering what you would say to the student or faculty member on our campus that uh, feels kind of content with the knowledge and research that they're doing and doesn't see much need for any sort of transcendent God uh, in their day-to-day -day life. This almost more of a practical question. Like, why, why does something like faith matter to someone who's very content in their science-based Worthy. Yeah, somebody once say to me, it was a guy who played a sport in college, it was one of my teammates, and he just said, you know, I went a few times to this one church, they told me I'd be happier if I became a Christian. I'm pretty happy the way I am. Mm -hmm. So 
why become a Christian? Well, I do think there's a certain amount of uh, peace and joy that come with with the, the Christian walk, but that's not the main reason that, at least to me as a scientist, that's not my main reason for becoming a Christian. My main reason is to say, if I was created for a purpose, and that purpose was a relationship with God, then that's really my my determinant in making this decision. The fact that I think I am more content and more at peace by being a Christian is a byproduct of that, but that wasn't what what made my decision. So the fact that you feel okay right now shouldn't be your criteria for making a decision. The question is, were you created for a purpose? If so, and that purpose was to have a relationship with God, then that's really what you need to wrestle with. I've never really understood people that just sort of say, I just don't care about that. I don't care whether it was created for a purpose. I mean, it's one thing if they say, I've decided that's not true. Um, I don't agree with that, but I can at least understand that sort of thinking. But, you know, I've had people just say, ah, it's just not convenient to think about that right now. Well, then when will it be convenient? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, Jordan, what I, I really appreciated about this episode was when Dr. DeSylvester was talking about how science actually has affirmed his faith in Christ. I think what's significant about that is that there's so many people in our culture who I think really believe that science and faith are opposed to one another, that if you're serious about science, that you really can't be a person of faith, or if you're really into faith, that that somehow makes you a sort of an anti-science person. And I, I just think that's a false dichotomy. And it's cool to see how in, in Dr. De Silvestro's work, there's sort of this coherence between the work that he's doing in, in the this, this scientific field, but, but also how that affirms his faith. Uh, so that seems pretty significant. Yeah, uh, really similarly what stood out was even kind of you just mentioned that coherence, but even I, I feel as though he is identifying that you can operate similarly in both uh, how you approach faith and, and science. He kind of, it seemed like he was saying, okay, you research a hypothesis, you examine evidence, you stack that evidence against other evidence that you might uh, be hearing about or reading about, uh, and you come to your best conclusion, and and um, that you can operate uh, within that framework both in, in faith and in science, and uh, rather than keeping kind of faith and science separate, bringing them together. Well, mark your calendars for the evening of Thursday, February 28th at 8 p.m. in the Ohio Union Archie Griffin Ballroom as we host philosophers Dr. Gregory Gansel and Dr. Eric Weilenberg for an event entitled, Are You Free? Christian and Atheist Scholars Seek to Make Sense of Our Innate Desire for Personal Freedom. These philosophers will be talking about what it means to be free how one's religious or non-religious beliefs affect how one experiences personal freedom. Many in our culture seem to think that Christianity is a religion that is less than helpful at best when it comes to experiencing freedom in life. So this should be a very interesting conversation. And stay tuned in a couple weeks as we release part three of our interview with Dr. Robert Silvestro on The Walk Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to The Walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit thethompsoninstitute.org.
a program of Crew at Ohio State.